0: this episode of ticket volume is brought to you by us invigate get service operations under control in no time get one free month of our software solution by going to try.invigate.com ticket volume live is proud to have tony north on as today's guest tony started learning about technology while in the u.s marine corps after which he became the first PC software trainer at Safeco Insurance Home Office. This led Tony to technical deployment roles where he provided over 125 implementations for help desks and HR software for worldwide companies. Now with over 22 years of managing teams, speaking and hosting at various HR conferences, he's coming all the way here to Ticket Volume welcome to Ticket Volume, Tony North.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here.
0: (laughs) Yeah, thanks for taking some time to be here on a Friday morning. I greatly appreciate it. A little bit of housekeeping for our guests and the audience today. If you're streaming this on one of the platforms, feel free to ask one of your questions live. Um, There should be chat options. Uh, if you're watching this on LinkedIn or YouTube, they'll be down below the video. And if you ask those questions, we'll actually see them on this stream and be able to answer your questions live. So now that the housekeeping's out of the way. Tony, thank you for being here. And uh, what I want to do is um, just recap a little bit about what you've been doing recently. Um, because right now I know that you're working for a county out in, in Washington. Um, talk a little bit about that. How did you find this opportunity? What's it like? Um, and what are you doing these days?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I was, uh, I, you know, as we work, right? HDI has been a great uh, facilitator for connecting us all together. And um, I learned about an opportunity at King County, which is the largest government entity in uh, all of Washington. And uh, it was right up my alley. It was managing the help desk, uh, which I've been doing most of my career. Um, but also, as you know, help desks have evolved right into a service desk where where we go and do and fix and we retrieve um, and we do life cycle of systems. And so it was a very good challenge. Uh, they, it's a union shop, which is uh, fairly new. Uh, in in my experience and so I wanted to um, I wanted to kind of expand my uh, horizon okay cool yeah
0: yeah that would that would totally do it for me like I'm not I'm not used to union shops either so talk about that for just a second because I know we didn't plan to talk about this but I'm too too curious not to ask right (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely when you say union shop is it like an it union or is it like everything else is union
1: um, basically, um, it's a union shop from the sense that all the employees are within a union and, and <clears throat> because of that, they, um, you know, there are things, uh, stipulations that are required for the union, for instance, which this, this took me off guard when I first started, when I usually start managing this type of environment, I like to actually go create a ticket and I like to then take that ticket and go service that customer And that way I can actually get the experience that our customers feel, right? I put myself in the shoes of customers to get the actual experience and then know where we need to spend our time or ascertain knowledge from the customer that gives me feedback while I'm working with them. Well, because it's a union shop, I can't do that. Somebody else has to do that. And so um, I have to use traditional reporting and, and details and surveys but um, I can't actually do that work based on the union requirements. <laughs> okay.
0: That totally makes sense. You know, I, I, uh, I've never worked at a union shop. My, my wife is an educator, and so she's part of a union, and they, they represent the employees. I love the idea of collective bargaining. It's brilliant. And let's make environments that that keep people feeling safe and uh, feeling protected. Absolutely. But, yeah. And I really love your idea, Tony. That's a great first tip actually for your live episode is to go through the experience that your customers experience. It's one of the best ways to see authentically what's happening and it gives you that context to then connect later when you're working on improvements or listening to complaints or whatever it is. That's right,
1: that's right. When we talk about customer experience, that's exactly what we're talking about get into the life of your customer, experience what they experience and then take that knowledge and, you know, turn it into something great. Yeah,
0: exactly. I had someone email me earlier this week asking what questions they should put on their survey. And I think this is a great alternative to surveys, you know, go through the experience yourself um, and and figure it out, Uh, do some role-playing. I love role-playing instead of surveys. It'd be really nice to just, you know, maybe even shadow a customer that's calling
1: into the service desk. Uh, Yeah, what were you gonna say, Tom? No, I agree. I agree. Shadow a customer. That's another. That's another way. Shadow a technician. You know, there's Mm -hmm. just there's a lot of things that you can do besides just getting a survey. And you know, people don't like to fill out surveys. And I remember back in the day, we used to have a survey, and we used to add a cookie to it so people would fill it out. But really, if if you want to know what's going on, you can shadow somebody or or do the ticket process yourself. And you'll ascertain a lot more knowledge quicker.
0: Nice, I love a good $5 word drop on ticket volume. Ascertain that knowledge. (laughs) 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 Gotta use the big (laughs) word (laughs) today. Yeah, exactly. You get a bonus for every big word, no. Uh, So let's talk about that a little bit. So you're leading in this service desk. Um, It's obviously, it's not a new, it's not Greenfield. The county already exists, right? It's this big organization. What what kind of challenges do you come across in in
1: your role? Um, yeah, I mean the funny thing is the challenges which I <laughs> I so appreciate are almost the same as what I feel are challenges in the private sector. Um, mm. You know, a lot of times people don't want to respond; they want to solve and respond, right? And we have to teach people, hey, response immediately provides confidence to your customers um, so that's that's one challenge uh, the other challenges that we face are similar as well uh, in my last company which is you know during the covid period of time a lot of people work remotely and now we're having a hard time getting people back in the building and mm. so that's a challenge the secondary challenge to that is you know we have pcs that have a life cycle um, and so we need to replace them in that life cycle and and churn and get them, you know, updated. But, um, you know, since everybody were remotely, you know, we got into the system of not having to come into the building. And so then where do we drop that laptop off to fix it? Or, you know, do we go out and pick it up, um, which is a tough um, situation to be in when you have multiple buildings throughout Seattle. And so um, these are the challenges that we face, how to complete the life cycle, how to, you know, get technicians to still want to be uh, in the building helping people. And so, um, so the funny thing is, these are the same things that I see in the private world. There's mm-hmm. just in the county, there are legalities and, you know there. Are, You know, a lot of things you know come up where you know you have to spend a little bit more time, which is a benefit. Um, You get a little bit more time to solve issues, uh, whereas in the private sector, it's like get it done by Friday. And so, um, it's it's a good environment. It's the type of environment I like uh, because it allows you to actually train the staff. Right, that's the whole thing. If you have time you can then explain the examples to the team and then they're like, ah, that's why, as opposed to, you know, sometimes in the private sector, you have to make the decision quickly you don't have time to explain it beforehand. Um, And then they question, why why are you having me do this? And so um, I think, you know, that is a benefit is having a little additional time to get through things and then see your team grow from that, Um, that's where, um, you know the downside has some benefits <clears throat> yeah
0: I used to say it all the time I wish I could pause time and like fix fix the things and then right. and then hit play again right. and yeah your your environment kind of it, it's conducive to that that right. is fascinating you know what a, what a great observation and something that
1: like you wouldn't know until you get into that situation that that's what that's going to be Yeah, I didn't I didn't expect it at all. I mean, I knew that, you know, because I worked in the Marine Corps and, you know, I actually a couple of customers that I implemented, um, you know, service management for the Congressional Budget Office, um, the city of Hollywood, Florida. So there's there's a lot of government entities that I've worked with, but I didn't and I knew that things take time, but I didn't realize that I could actually use that time as an advantage. And that that is actually really uh, cool in this environment.
0: Yes. Excellent. And that's what it's about. Finding those things and using them to your advantage. That's right. That's, that's the key. <laughs> that's what makes you so good, Tony. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, yeah. By all means. It, it, and on that note, you know, it is so great to know you. Um, we, we've connected through HDI. Um, several times, um, and if you don't know HDI, go to thinkhdI.com. It's a great network of help desk professionals, service desk professionals, service and support professionals that uh, network and kind of get together regularly and try to figure this stuff out.
1: Yeah, which which is I think important, right? Because and I, and I was introduced to HDI when I worked at Bendata Data in 1994, right? Because it was owned by the same. Uh, person Ron Munz, and so what I didn't realize at the time is that by having a community like HDI, the original HDI customers were actually the advisory board for Bendata. Data, and so um, as it exploded, um, it really enabled a group of people who do a similar job function, you know, to get together every so often and a <laughs> First of all, whoo, wind down. (laughs) And secondly, learn from each other, right? Because when you're in this type of environment, it's not about reinventing everything all over again, right? If you're doing that, then get get to HDI. Um, But the ability to communicate about the problems that we have that are very similar. And then how did you solve this? Oh, great. Well, maybe I can try that too. And that's the whole concept behind HDI is, not reinventing things, learning from each other and Mm. then still improving our life uh, as we work. I love it. Yes,
0: yes, learn and improve. Um, I talked with Sean McLean recently and he pointed out like, that's what you need to do at conferences. Like take back just those little nuggets of learning, see if you can apply them, Um, ask good questions and get people, um, you know, Helping you out.
1: Right.
0: We also met recently. We talked about um, leadership, about help desk leadership, and how those roles, um, you know, in the help desk and in IT in general. So often, technical merit or yeah. agent merit um, gives you those promotions into leadership roles. That's and true. sometimes that's not a great idea because someone who's great with computers isn't necessarily good with people. That's right. What do you find as a leader of a service and support organization? What do you find challenging uh, in in that role?
1: Yeah, I mean that that's a clear thing. You, you first of all, the challenge is: am I putting the right people in the right spot? Right. Mm. And so, as a leader, a lot of times, uh, you, what you have to do is you have to take a step back um, before you make those type of uh, choices. So you could learn more about your people right and that's again in the private sector sometimes we don't get to do that we have to make decisions (laughs) a little quickly but if you're able to learn the strengths and weaknesses of your teams then you're able to position them in the areas that they are successful in so the, the goal is that you want the right person in the right job so like in king county we're we're in the midst of that, right? Because I've been here five months and we're in the middle of transition. We've consolidated four teams into one team and now we have 40 people. And the goal here is to be able to then build a um, a, a path for everybody, right? You mm-hmm. can start an entry level and you can evolve. And so one of the ways that you can uh, manage the staff and get people to the right place is build a career path for them within your team. And that way, then they can see where they're clearly going. And and B, you can then position them to where best. Now, position them. And that's the key word. (laughs) Because you need to do it where people are doing it with you, right? You can't just say, hey, by the way, you're going to go over here. You need to talk with them. You need to spend time with what they're interested in. And then by understanding their strengths and weaknesses, that's where a manager needs to be persuasive and say, but you know what? I know you talked about going into management, but you're super technical. And every time that there's an issue, an escalation comes up, you're the one that people turn to. What if, and this is where you then have to think a little creative, what if we did some sort of lead for escalations as opposed to you managing multiple people? And in this situation, you're giving somebody an opportunity to do something that they're really strong at technically without moving them to something where they're going to hit, you know, the Peter principle, right? The Peter principle where you work up to a place where you're incompetent. And so our goal in management is to avoid anybody from hitting the Peter principle, enabling them to continue their success. And so time you need time to understand who they are, you need to work with them and talk with them about what they're interested in. And then you need to be able to share with them what you see and how they fit. And sometimes it may not be in your exact career path, but it's something that will enable them to grow. And that's the whole idea, it's like a plan. You gotta put it in sun if you want it to grow. And that's all we're doing as managers. I, I really love what you said there. Specifically,
0: um, I really like the metaphor that you made about people to plants. Um, you know, people aren't plants, of course. But what I really like is that you have to get to know the plant, you need to know what it takes, you know, you start to see what healthy looks like. Yeah. And uh, the other point that I really love that you made is to be creative with that. Make the role if it doesn't exist. Go outside the box. Think of something else you can do to provide uh, for that
1: plant. <laughs> that's right, that's right. They do. Funny enough, on, on plants, I've been learning a lot in the last few years. That, that's the goal. Continue to learn. I learned that if you talk to your plant um, every day right, just like you talk to your dog or your cat or something like that, that it actually helps a plant grow. Now, I don't have proof of this. But there have been studies that show that you devote the time, and it comes out, uh, you know, in an improved uh, situation. And so that's the same thing with people, you have to, you have to devote the time. Um, And that's where I think it, you know, that takes time. So sometimes that's tough to do. But when you devote the time, the outcome can be successful. Dude,
0: yes. And it, it does. It takes a ton of time. You you see it as an adult. You try to make new friends as an adult. Oh my gosh, it takes so long cuz you know, you got to build all that trust and right. it, it is really it's a personal thing. It's very personal and It is. That's right. Add the professional working environment to that and it just adds another layer of complexity and difficulty Um, But people like you are great at it. And that's why we love you, Tony. (laughs) Okay, so we've been getting some good questions here. So we need to get to some questions because I can't, I can't be just capitalizing your time on my own here. We had an observation earlier um, in the episode when we were talking about getting back to the office. Um, It's something that a lot of companies are facing today. And is it possible for management to reset expectations and be flexible with their workforce? What sort of suggestions or what sort of tricks are you like, is your organization doing to either get people back to the office, wanting to get back to the office or resetting management expectations and process expectations and not getting people back to the office?
1: Right. Uh, I think, yeah. So that's a challenge. I know um, a couple of the companies here, Amazon and, a couple of companies in downtown Seattle have said, we're going to force our people to come back in, you know, three days a week. Right. And and so I'm, I'm never in the mindset of, you know, using the force word. Right. I'm, I'm always in the mindset of I really want uh, people to do things because they feel it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I usually steer away from directing right? Even though I was a director for 18 years, a senior director for five, I steer away from directing. I focus on, um, you know, sharing, facilitating, coaching, mentoring. Um, And so we have that issue, right? Like everybody's facing, how do you get everybody back? So before I started here, they already had one thing that was set up, which is all managers come in every Tuesday. And I like that model because I still work, You know, remotely the rest of the week, and then I come in on Tuesdays. And by the way, I schedule tours and client site visits, and you know, I really um, take advantage of that one day. And so I call that one day a stepping stone, right? Because a lot of times, um, it's easy just to say cut and dry. This is what we're going to do, but I believe in taking baby steps to get where you want. I don't know if you watch What About Bob, but I <laughs> truly believe in What About Bob because he obviously, you know, sold the book <laughs> from his counselor um, to you know talk about how you can use baby steps to achieve just about any goal. And, um, and I, and so I believe that. And so here's, here's what we're doing. I've got, you know, four teams combined into one um, and two of the teams all did the remote work. And so this is a challenge to get now people who just did remote work to come into the office. And so one of the ways that we're doing that is we have new hires that are coming in and we're having them all be versatile. Right. Because one of the ways that you can be persuasive is to actually um, show an example of what behavior you'd like. Right. And once people see people coming in the office, you know, I think, you know, it's infectious. Right. Especially if it's they're coming in the office and and they actually like the people that they're hanging around with, it's, it, that becomes infectious. And then it's an organic process. Hey, I'm going to come in on Tuesdays. And so that's what I've got right now. I've got somebody who's never come into the office. He's coming in on Tuesdays because that's the day that all the management comes in and he works with me a lot. And I said, hey, and if you like it, you just come in each Tuesday, right? And so I think taking baby steps on the approach to get people to the office instead of being cut and dry and saying, now, nah, here's the deal. It's a tough market. And even though we see a lot of layoffs, right, it's tough to keep quality people. And Mm -hmm. so, yeah, maybe you lose people that aren't super quality, but you lose one person that's of high quality. I think that's too much. And Mm -hmm. so my approach in the baby steps is to um, slowly progress, to get people to slowly come in and then more and more come in. We had a we had a pizza and salad party uh, two weeks ago, and we got—we only thought we we're going to get ten people. We had twenty-three people in that pizza party, and so using some opportunities for food um, so that they can network and collaborate. And I brought leaders in so they could talk with the leaders. Um, but like I said, then be able to say, "Hey, by the way, you know, in this career path that we talked about earlier." you know, we want you guys all to be able to do multiple things as well. Mm. And in our depth chart, we are looking for people to, who can be versatile. And so once we show that behavior and convince people that once they come in, they've got, we've got that culture um, that they want to be with, um, it becomes easier and easier. Then then you get volunteers who want to, hey, I want to do the remote stuff for this week. And that's where we we're in the middle of that right now. So, I definitely believe in the carrot over the stick. Um, I I believe in taking baby steps to achieve the goal. I don't think it's going to be quick. I mean, it was quick to get everybody to work remote because of a, uh, yeah, right, the pandemic. But anything that is worthwhile takes time. And Uh, if you're going to achieve your ultimate goal, you have to pull people along, not tell them what to do.
0: So much wisdom there, Tony, you know, it, the opportunity that you, you see it as an opportunity and that is why that positive attitude is so important. You can adapt for what the people need. Some people might need remote this week. They might need to be in person. And I also really like that you tied it back to psychology with the what about Bob reference, which of course I love. Cause we've got a baby schedule to keep here, Bob.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly.
0: uh but the psychology element is what what is so key and and it's something that i've had multiple people leaders uh, that are excellent just like you point out that and i've realized i don't know what's good for me right right that's why i have a counselor that's why i have a therapist that's Mm -hmm. why i talk to them on a regular basis because I'm not always gonna see the full picture. I, I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to want comfort. And a lot of times comfort is the enemy. We need to take those baby steps to get out of our apartments and get out of our homes and get on the bus and go to work. And, That's right. and you don't always realize the benefits of just being in person, being in contact with people and, and working together in a small space. It, you might realize that after the fact, Yeah. And you might even realize it in the moment if you're lucky or you're observant, but I find myself constantly denying it. (laughs) Okay. So we've got some more uh, great questions here. Uh, Specifically back to the lifecycle comment about assets. How do you manage the lifecycle with users needs in mind? and this is, this is one that comes up often because people always want the latest and greatest and we're adding in this new problem of sustainability, like how do we be ecological? Um, but here, Rocky's asking a great question. How do you track if certain users maybe need upgraded equipment before the life cycle dates and others? Do you treat some users differently than others? How, how would you respond to that, Tony?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I we dealt with this in my last uh, job Um, And of course, we're dealing with this now. Um, Typically, what um, I started out in our last, I ran the project for our lifecycle program in my last role. And typically what I focused on was understanding who needed to have a lifecycle replaced system. First of all, get the list. Mm -hmm. Now, what's going to happen is with that list, it's going to slowly change anyway, because the lifecycle machines there are obviously, there are going to be problems with, let's say, 12% of them. And so, some of the life cycle is going to solve itself organically by people calling up and having a break fix. So, you should just know that, let's say you've got 5,000 uh, systems to replace, 12% of them are going to be replaced automatically. And so, that's why you have to monitor that list. What we first started out with is we did what I call a beta run, right? Just to pick an easy word. And so we took a snapshot of 100 users and we shared that this is what we plan to do. And we went through the process like I shared earlier, right? Take a snapshot, put yourself in their shoes and Mm. go through the process with them so you can improve you know, we got 5,000 to replace, so taking a snapshot of 100, I'm going to definitely identify problems that are going to come out of this that I have to have to solve. The other thing is you deal with vendors. It's not just you, right? I mean, mm-hmm. most of us don't have a full team to just sit there and replace systems, right? We're lean and mean, and some people are laying off, so we have to work with our vendors to use tools like Intune or SCCM, right? These tools that will build the system for us. And by the time, if you do it right, your vendor can build the system, use the Intune uh, applications that you need on that system. And then instead of having it come to your technicians in the building, you can have it sent directly to your customer. So Mm. that way you get out of the business of a distribution process and you get into the business of you know, making sure the systems are exactly what they need. If you use Intune, you're going to have, you know, per department, you're going to have multiple sets that you have to use. And you need to manage that. That's where your time and problems are going to be. But how we do it is now we're done with our hundred list. Now we're going to, send a note to everybody that we're going to work on over the next year right because you know this is not going to be quick (laughs) we're going to take that right we're going to do a certain number per quarter, right and that's the goal is to do a certain number per quarter well what we're going to do is we're going to send a note out to the four thousand that's or the four thousand you know that's remaining from the hundred and based on that list we're going to share with them almost like in a survey style We wanted to let you know what we plan to do. We want to ask you a couple of questions to help us uh, understand the urgency uh, of your issue and to be able to ensure that you're ready for this because some people may not want it. Like you said, like my system's working fine. Don't change it. (laughs) You know, as soon as you change it, I'm going to have a problem, right? The Murphy's Law effect. And so um, we do it survey style. We get all that feedback. We collate that data. We understand the ones that we have to fit and take care of first, and they're done in the first quarter. We understand the people that are not interested in doing it, even though we may want to replace their systems, and we move them to the fourth quarter, hoping that they fix their stuff with a break fix, right? Because we didn't want to change it, they didn't want to change it. But if it gets down to now the last quarter, and you have the last group of people that don't want to change it, at that point, you you can send out another survey and ask some questions and share information about their systems. We wanted to let you know that the reason why we're doing this is because the warranty will expire. If Mm -hmm. there's a problem past a particular date, then we're out of compliance that's going to mean we have to pay for a whole brand new system. And that is a double cost of doing it in this life cycle process. So using a persuasive, pushing them to the end, but then being persuasive about it. But the goal is to pay attention to what's going on. Pull the list together. Know the affected group so that you can communicate effectively and then make it successful through that communication very thorough
0: answer i i love the the concept of segmenting people based on where they're at mentally about the change
1: yeah
0: um and i saw um i saw a presentation at support world or uh fusion or service management world and it was it was this dude from one of the financial institutions that caused problems Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac oh, yeah, right. and uh he, he 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 did this great presentation I think it was actually a panel and he pointed out like when someone comes up with a broken laptop we literally hand them the next one it's like ready to go or it's in a locker and it like auto pops open if they say that their laptop's broken and it's set up and it's ready to go and he he, he put it so perfectly he said. It's something that we do all the time. We are swapping systems literally all day long, and we wanted to get good at it. Right. I I just love that perspective. Like He just wanted to get good at replacing them. And so it got to the point where, yeah, someone could walk up, get a new laptop, they log in, and then like four or five minutes later, they've got all their apps. They've got most of their data, especially if they're on site. Um, And you could see tons of people were excited about that idea yeah like that's something we could do have them sitting and i think they actually they took it to the next level and had one of those crazy locker systems where all the laptops are plugged in when they're on the network so you can like start pushing to them as soon as they register that their laptop's broken oh my gosh i love the technology because i'm a nerd i can't help it uh, right. But I also like what you said, right? Like you need to think about it logically and systemically. And at the risk of this being called the baby steps episode, you got to take baby steps.
1: There you go. There you go. The other thing is once you get past this situation, because this is the situation everybody's in. <laughs> yep. Once you can get past the situation and you do it in the a method then the next time that this comes around, right? You get through this period of time, okay, next year we got a year off, (laughs) but then the next year we're gonna start this all over again. Then we can get to a situation where you have the list, what we call proactive, right? This is where time helps you build a strategy. You build the list, you watch that list in the year before you start this whole process, and you identify the systems that you're gonna need to do in that next year, and as you watch that list, any of the systems and you keep that list available to your technicians, any and when it registers that this one next year is going to be on the list, then instead of just um, doing nothing with it and fixing it, replace that PC before yes. the year gets here to turn it over. Now, guess what? Hopefully the goal will be in being proactive. You've shortened your lifecycle list by at least half. And that is a savings to the company, not just to the employee. It it helps the employee because now they've already got their new system, but it helps the company with a larger cost. Um, But again, you have to go through this process first to know it so that you can do it right. And that's where we all are because we all just came from COVID. But then proactive. Take a proactive stance automatically replace systems when they come in for a problem or a break fix or the software's not working correctly oh my gosh you're right we're just going to replace your system if that's okay because we think and and the solution going to be in that new system boom now the next life cycle process is half the cost half the yes. time right half the time and, and that's the thing is it's not just half the cost half the time of technicians
0: technicians the, the person who uses that end station, that's right. Like, that's what that's what I was thinking about. Because like, like you, you basically took two tickets and made it one. Yes, that's right. By doing that. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, I love that gold, man. I love that gold. Uh, okay, so you did a presentation recently on data driven decisions. Yes. What the heck I okay, so <laughs> I have to admit, I've heard of uh, test-driven development, TDD. I've heard of um, data-driven design, which is the three Ds. What the heck is data-driven decisions?
1: Data-driven decisions is, and I'm just going to... Spitball. Spitball. Build your dashboards for the KPIs that you have as a company, right? These are the Mm. key performance measurements or key performance indicators that tell you, I'm going to go this way, or I'm going to go that way. And then educate your team as a data culture. Instead of like just making off the cuff decisions, right? This person has this problem. Go to the dashboard, look at the data, have a history of the problem, right? And here's an example. We just solved our CIOs. Issue. We have a new CIO. And I helped Remember, I put myself in my shoes. So on her first day, I went with my technician to introduce myself, understand how this new CIO works, but also understand what my technician does when they solve something and send a new onboarding system. Well, her laptop's not working. And based on it not working, she's like, I gotta. I don't have time. Right? I'm meeting, meeting, meeting. I'm gone all the time. How do I solve this? And the technicians were like, okay, we'll just replace it. And so I said, hold on a second. Let's set up a meeting and review this situation. So when we come up with a solution, we've reviewed what's happened in the past. See, on that first Mm -hmm. day, we had to replace our system on that day because of some problem that the system had with Adobe or some other technology that wasn't working the way it was supposed to. So I said, before we replace the system, everybody know what happened before. I would hate for you to go to this customer, whether it's a CIO or any customer and replace their system. And they say, well, is this going to be solved? Last time there was a problem. And then they'll go, Oh, there was a problem last time. No, Mm -hmm. we want to know the history of what happened. And that's where I showed the list of the problems that the system had before with these technicians. So they knew when they got out there, a, they fixed the problems from before, which wasn't done. And Mm -hmm. B, they have knowledge about what's happening. So when we talk about data-driven decisions, we're talking about just that. Review the facts. Review the details. Make an assumption about the facts and the details to come out with an outcome that is going to solve the problem completely, not just Band-Aid things, and now we have another ticket, and now the customer's frustrated let's use data to drive those decisions and typically that means you have to have a data culture Mm -hmm. you have to know that data is important to your operation you have to know that where is the data so i could go look at it and make a decision and then you have to encourage your teams hey you're gonna make a decision before you just do it look at this data and make a better determination a better outcome Uh, the goal is solve it once don't mm-hmm. re, you know? Don't make repeat business for yourself, right? We're not in the business of doing repeat business so we can keep ourselves busy. We're, <laughs> we're in the busy. We're in the business of looking at things. If we have repeat things, determining what we can do to fix that, and so data-driven decisions helps us with that. And that's where you can have a data culture and use a data governance, which was the end of my presentation, showing things like. What's important to us as a company for data? What is that data related above what we do at the higher level? And what is that data for us at our level? And then what's that technical knowledge we need to apply to it? And then being able to know, where is all your data throughout your organization? Let's list it. And by the Mm -hmm. way, When we list it, know what the retention of that data needs to be and where that data is kept and who are the stewards of that data. And then develop a committee because here's the thing. (laughs) You're not going to have the person who's the most technical person to pull this data together, share with others why this data is important. You need somebody else completely different to communicate that data, such as somebody who has knowledge, expertise of the company or the Mm -hmm. business, somebody who can be persuasive in their communication and their, their ability to present uh, because you're trying to achieve goals with that data. And this is where a data governance can help you.
0: I have to kind of cover my mouth so I don't just cheer while you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so much gold in there, so much gold. Designing dashboards based on the decisions you need to make. That, yes. that in and of itself is just a huge, huge revelation. Because so often people come to me and they're like, "What are the metrics I should?" You know, "Oh, I need to know ticket volume, pun intended. Uh, a- I need to know. I need to know what my first call resolution is. I need to know. Well, maybe first call resolution doesn't actually align with your organizational goals. That's right. Maybe it. Maybe that's not what you want. That's right. So I love the. I love the idea of designing. Your reporting in your dashboards around the decisions you need to make um we see this in design and marketing all the time where we're like oh well let's try a and b and see which one works and then whichever one's working we'll just do that one
1: that's right um,
0: you can see doing the exact same thing in a service desk you yeah. know if we if we answer and ask for the employee id first how are we rated csat if we answer and give a, a warm welcome and a personal greeting What's the CSAT score on those? And That's being right. able to determine that and make those data-driven decisions. Oh, exactly.
1: gold. Yeah, golden. <laughs> and I, by the way, I didn't do this alone. I had a couple yep. of managers when I was a director and we built this war room. That's what I used as my example. We built this war room. We had a machine that was, it was supposed to put pills and packets, but it was um, putting... The wrong pills in the packets and sometimes it was putting no pill in the packet and you know that gets distributed through the hospital and so then when it gets there if they eat the wrong pill it's a patient safety issue right and so we built this war room we took a conference room and we put up all the metrics on every wall so we can understand the region of the problem the systems of the problem where every customer was plotted throughout the u.s and then really drill in on our ability to solve the problem. So hopefully you know, people don't have to go to that extreme to build a war room, but using dashboards and metrics achieves the same goal, but at a much lower level and can be used in your daily work. And that's the thing, enabling uh, the key performance indicators to be used in a daily work you see all the time And it's not hard to get to, but it can help you improve your decisions.
0: Good stuff. Good stuff. Okay, uh, we got one more topic I need to cover with you just because I need to hear the story. And then we'll we'll close (laughs) this thing out. And you mentioned it actually when we were meeting. And I I didn't throw it out there as a topic we needed to cover, but you offered it up. That's right, and we all know that AI is coming. It's it's right. it's it's built into our tools. It's been built into our IVRs for a long time. Um, right. It's coming into our ticketing tools now. What have you done in your past that leveraged some sort of AI-like abilities, and um, what benefits did it get you?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I mean everybody's using you know Chat GPT now, and so AI. And I've been talking about AI. I think now for. She's four, five years. It's just slowly evolving. So I agree, it's a topic of today. Um, In in my last role, and I'd like to take credit for it, but this was already instituted, you know, before I got there. So I had to just carry it it forward. But um, we used AI um, to uh, communicate about incidents. We used, and, and we were very cautious, right? Because automatically, most systems, right, that uh, we use, for instance, also send email, right? And we didn't want to mm-hmm. have duplicates of what we did. So we were very cautious about how we used AI. But here's the benefits. I'm at, a, you know, somebody's desk in a different building. AI is telling me, hey, you've got another client right there. They didn't have to leave. AI had been able to formulate this plan that said, hey, I see that a technician is already in this specific building. Let's get this over to them so that they don't have to drive back home and then drive back out there, or they don't start working on something else. So AI was absolutely uh, an advantage for technicians. Secondly, AI is able to communicate with the customers. And like I shared earlier, AI can, we linked up our AI, which we used Moveworks, and it was linked up to teams. So the great thing about AI is it's a technical stack. So, you know, if you're using whatever communication mode you're using, AI can just You know, be a part of that stack and then you kind of choose how you leverage it. So Mm -hmm. we used AI, for instance, for that example for technicians, but we used AI also to be able to have um, people who had uh, to approve something right? Because typically the rule of thumb is we use the system to communicate an email, but at the end of the day, you finally get to your email and now I approve something. Well, that sometimes becomes a problem. We want the approval to be done a lot earlier and a lot quicker. So again, we didn't use AI for every communication that our incident system used, but we selected key things for our AI system to use like approvals, which then sped up our ability for our our, um, change advisory board process. It sped up our ability for people who had budget considerations that needed to take place and that approval pushed it back to accounting so they could pay something. Um, So we strategically identified the areas like update a ticket. You may not need an incident to send a note to update a ticket, but an AI is perfect for, hey, by the way, we see that there's a change. Do you want to update the ticket? And they can ignore it or they can just go in, oh, thank you for helping me with that. Um, so we could use uh, information like that. Lastly, we could use AI to communicate things that are super important. Here's the deal. Every ITSM system, right? <laughs> Since Bendata in 94, when I used to implement it, has the ability to put a board up, right? To communicate some things that occur today. Mm-hmm. Let's say, for instance, the you know Oracle system is down. <laughs> you know this is ironic. This happened just today. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a system that's down, and instead of just waiting for people to log into our ITSM solution and see the bulletin go across the green space there, they can actually get a notice from AI that says, "Hey, by the way, the Oracle system is down." So you can absolutely use AI as an advantage. Now, here's the other side of the coin. And people are like, and you know this, am I gonna be out of a job? <laughs> you know? and I, I, think, I think the thing is that's kind of a fear tactic, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, if we don't advance this technology, listen, people said that about the telephone when it came out, right? People mm-hmm. said that about the microwave when it came out. And people said that about you know, AirPods, right? That oh, all
0: technology. God,
1: all technology. So that's just a technology fear, uh, worry uh, issue. Um, but again, we're technology driven in America. We use our knowledge and our technology to advance our agenda. And that's exactly what AI is about. You pick and choose what you want to use it for. Don't get into a situation where you feel like it's running your life. Listen, I don't want AI to be cooking my meal. I I suck at cooking, but I'm definitely not going to trust an AI to do it. So so just know that don't be worried about what AI can do for everybody. Focus on what AI can be an advantage for in your environment. Identify Mm -hmm. the things that are a problem first before you even get with AI. Identify the things that are a problem first. Get that list and then identify which ones could be solved with AI. Now you can show the ROI to pay for this solution and then utilize it in a way that helps your community.
0: Yes, and doesn't affect the users in a negative way. Uh, Simone pointed out that's a great idea for agents or for for approvals to do that. That's a brilliant, brilliant move. Um, And, you know, I I like the the microwave metaphor. It's great because, you know... um, Agents live in this chaos. It is chaotic to be an agent. You're checking 12 systems a second, basically. Okay. And I really like the idea of leveraging it to sort of reduce some of that chaos and connect some of the dots that we just don't have time or, or room for in our days. Yeah. You know, um, I could see how an AI could look at call logs and say, hey, you called this person, but I don't see a ticket. Yeah, that's or right. I don't see an update to the ticket for this person. And by the way, here's the link to it. So you can just get straight to it. There's mm-hmm. there's so many usability and um, and things like the that...
1: CMDB. Think about the oh, CMDB. Yeah. We all have a problem with the CMDB. Why not gear your AI to look for, you know, the configuration information links that aren't working? Yeah. You know, use uh, learning machine learning to educate your AI to say, hey, instead of me having somebody run a report and you know, I've got now a technician that's specifically focused on you know, the CMDB, why not assign that to an AI capable system and then it can look for links that are bad. And now all you get into the business of doing is fixing. And that's the exact same methodology that I talked about with, um, with uh, you know, the lifecycle systems. Yep. Get out of the business of doing the manual part know what's happening, let your vendor take care of that. And then you just get in the business of managing the in tune and the departments and the problems that it creates. So the same thing here, let the AI find the problems. And then now you're in the business of fixing it as opposed to doing both, which again, as a technician, we don't have enough time. Yeah, so true. I saw
0: yesterday, someone pointed out that to, to say that an AI can replace what we're doing right here is an insult.
1: <laughs> that's right, absolutely. By the way, I forgot to tell you I'm an AI machine. <laughs> um, that, that's where and that's the line right there. That's the line. Um yep. it, what AI won't be able to do for you is to comprehend the facts of the details and be able to do a lessons learned and then develop a strategy for how to improve. So people are putting AI at the wrong place. AI should be after the strategy mm-hmm. and you identify from the strategy what you need to accomplish. Then you plug in the AI in the areas that it can be successful in. If you do it right, you'll get your ROI and it'll pay for itself. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Tony. Thanks for being on. What? Uh, where can people connect with you and learn more? Um, well, I'm at tonynorth.com, but I also have, um, there's 42 of us, but I'm tonynorth42 at gmail.com as well. Um, be glad to help anybody. My whole uh, premise is I've been there, done that. I don't know everything, but if I know something that can help somebody, that, that's why I'm part of HDI. I, I, somebody helped me ascertain where I am here today. So, HDI gives me a vehicle to help other people. And if we can help each other, that's even better. So, would love to connect up if there's information. Would love to help. And uh, I may pick your brain on things that could help me too.
0: Excellent. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being on Ticket Vine, Tony. Thank you. And for our audience, thanks for listening to this live episode. We have a bunch more out there, so make sure to subscribe to receive an alert every time there's a new one. You can also submit a specific topic or guest by DMing me or putting it in the comments right now because I'm reading them. (laughs) And speaking of comments, leave a comment. Leave us some feedback. You know that the algorithm will reward us for your interaction. This podcast is brought to you by Invigate, the all-in-one IT service and asset management system that helps organizations with world-class IT support. If you're looking for a solution to build your help desk without the headaches of year-long implementations, you will love Invigate. In fact, IT teams from NASA, Toyota, and McDonald's use Invigate to manage requests, automate workflows, and centralize inventory data so that they can focus on delivering better service. Because remember, good service is good business.